This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Well, tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the things the Lord's been talking to me about. It's sort of difficult to do that because when the Lord is talking to you about different things, He doesn't always tell you everything about it. So there are certain things the Lord's talking to me about, dealing with me about, that I don't have the total answers for. I never will have the total answers for. But this summer, our ladies did a series on Elijah and the fire of God in Mount Carmel. It was, it was really a great series. Priscilla Shire was the teacher. It was a video series. And maybe the third week of that series, she actually taught about the fire of God. And when she taught about the fire of God, something ignited in me. And I've not been able to lay it down. And, and I began to dig in the word, Lord, what are you trying to say to me about the fire of God? So tonight, I want to take you back in the old covenant and to a story. I encourage you, I, there's no way I could read this whole story to you, but the story of Elijah, Elijah is one of the most fascinating prophets in the Bible. He wasn't perfect. Did you know nobody in the Bible is perfect except Jesus? Only Jesus, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is perfect. The rest of us, well, we're, we're in progress. We will be made perfect when we see him face to face because we'll be like he is. That's what John told us. But I want us to look at this story in 1 Kings, beginning in chapter 16. And we'll just give a little excerpts. I'm going to tell you mainly the story for time's sake because I have a lot to say to you tonight. I hope you got one of those little cards as you were coming in to take notes on. Anybody didn't get one that would like one? If you'll raise your hand, there may be a handsome usher in the aisle that will bring you one. And they're, they're wonderful to do those sorts of things. Okay, if you have your Bible, open it to 1 Kings 16. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 30. I'm just going to read you just a little bit of story here. And then I'm going to give you a little backdrop on it. So guys, if you'll put up that 1 Kings 16, beginning with, oh, they already did it. They're ahead of me. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Listen, that is really saying something. I mean, to say he was worse than anybody that had ever lived before, that's terrible. He was really not a nice person. He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had not been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and he served Baal, and he worshiped him. And then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Now think about this. Now the sin of, oh, let me finish. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Think about that. Jeroboam, the, the sin of Jeroboam was he set up idols. He drew the people away from God. And he drew them to idols. That was his sin. And then Ahab, a lot of times, all through history, different kings have married daughters of other kings to make an alliance with their countries. But Jezebel was no ordinary daughter of an ordinary king. She was one of the most wicked women. That She was perfect for him. He, he was the most wicked man, and she was the most wicked woman. I once wrote a little book called Control, A Study of the Jezebel Syndrome. That woman was horrible. And she hated the prophets of God. God was very upset with them. 
You know, as you read these stories, it's interesting to see what the people did to provoke God. Have you ever been reading the Bible? For, for instance, when you read of Israel coming out of Egypt, all those plagues that God sent to Egypt so Egypt would let them go. Then he led them out of Egypt and he led them through the sea on dry ground and he drowned their enemy in the sea and he fed them in the wilderness and he did all of these things and they just kept sinning. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, what is wrong with these people? If God did these things for me, it would certainly get my attention, and I think I would serve him all my life. You know, the Lord spoke to me about that one time, and he gave me the answer to that. Would you like to hear the answer to it? it it's something you need to know. When we read the Bible, you're reading the Bible from heaven's point of view. What does that mean? Well, God inspired the Bible. It's his story. And when, when we read the Bible, we read the, the part of life leading up to the story. We read the story, and we can look ahead and see the ending. So we read it from heaven's point of view. But life is usually not experienced from heaven's point of view. Think about that. We are trapped in time. I can't see the future. And so I live life from earth's point of view. And earth's point of view is very limited. And what happens with earth's point of view is we forget the promises of God. We sometimes forget who God is. And we sometimes forget his promises. That's a very dangerous thing to do. But we do it, don't we? Circumstances overwhelm us. We get wrapped up in life. Things are not going well. And we just forget we get focused on the negative and we forget, could that be what happened to Israel? Well, in the story that we're going to look at tonight, that's pretty much what happened. They had a king that served, served idols. They served idols. And you know, when you, when you look at life from earth's point of view, when you're living life from earth's point of view, you have to walk by faith and not by sight. You need to say that with me. Say, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And we have to live by our faith. Several times in the Bible, in the Old Testament in Habakkuk, and again in the New Testament in Hebrews, we are told that the just, people that are justified, people that are born again, people that know God, have to live by their faith. You can't live by what you see. You can't live by what you, what you think or, or what you feel. You have to live by faith in God. And these people got distracted. They had an evil king. He married an evil woman. She brought in all of these, these prophets of Baal. They set up temples to false gods. The people, they were having big parties and all sorts of terrible things were happening. And people were drawn into it. And it really made God upset. And their sin brought judgment. Sin brings judgment. It does. And you know, it isn't God necessarily that sends it. When you sin and continue in sin and don't turn back to God and ask him to help you, it opens the door for the enemy to come in and attack you. And he loves to do that. After all, that's his job description. John 10, 10 says the thief came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So if you are in a situation now where you're being stolen from, you're, you're being killed and you're being destroyed, it's not God. It's the enemy. It's the thief. Because God came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. So here we are in our story. 
Here we are in our story. And the people had forgotten. And so God spoke to his man, Elijah. And Elijah went to uh, Ahab and he said, listen, King Ahab, God is upset with you. He's upset with this nation and rain is going to be withheld. There will be no rain. There will be no dew for three and a half years. Actually, he said, until I say so. There'll be no rain until I say so. And he was listening for God. Isn't that, it was a bold thing for him to say. And then it says he took off and he went and hid. And Ahab couldn't find him. Because Ahab would have killed him if he could have found him. And so Elijah brought this message to King Ahab. And he went into hiding for three years. Now, before we go on with the story, I want to stop just a minute because... I think of myself and I think of Elijah and I think of the miracles, how God used him in this incredible way. And I sometimes say, Lord, could you use me? But there's a secret in the New Testament about his power. If you would like to move in the power of a prophet, here's how you do it. It's found in James chapter 5, verse 17. James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. So actually, the key to his power was prayer. He prayed. He prayed earnestly. He went before God. He found the plan of God, and he obeyed God. So don't say that you could never be like Elijah. If you will learn to love to pray God will do amazing things in your life. One of the things he's dealing with me about, uh, you know, I do love to, I love to pray. I pray a lot. I pray for people. I just love to pray, but I don't love to fast. I like to eat. And recently, the Lord, and maybe I'll teach on this. You don't really want me to teach on this, do you? <laughs> don't, please don't teach on that. We don't want to hear this. But the Lord spoke a verse about fasting to me. And I saw the verse in a way I'd never seen it before. And I have been praying since I saw that verse in Isaiah. That what fasting could do, the power, spiritual power of fasting. I have been praying, Lord, teach me to love to fast. I have. I, seriously, I'm praying that. Lord, teach me to love to fast. Now, it takes more than me asking the Lord to teach me to love to fast. I have to fast to learn to love to fast. But that I, I uh, am going away from my subject. But the key thing here is he found God's plan. He prayed that plan back to God. God spoke to his heart. I'm, judgment is coming. This is a judgment. I'm going to withhold rain. He prayed that back to God and God answered him. God led him and God helped him to fulfill God's plan for the earth. And finally, God sent Elijah to Ahab and Mount Carmel. After that three and a half years, he sent him to Mount Carmel to challenge the prophets of Baal. Now you might say this, what did he do during those three and a half years? Well, he did several things. He didn't just sit around and knit. And actually, when he, called that, when he called that drought into the land, when that judgment was released, he had to experience that judgment too. And that's where that wonderful story of the little widow who had just a little bit of oil and a little bit of grain, and God said, I want you to go down there, and that widow's going to feed you. Well, he had to be really bold to go to that little widow. And when she said, I have enough for one meal, and then my son and I are going to die. And he said, well, fix me something first. Isn't that just like a man? 
You say, I think I'm going to go get me a little something to eat. And they say, well, get me something too. My husband doesn't do that. He would never do that. But he was busy all during that. He even, that, that lady's son died and he, he ministered to her and to that child and the child was raised from the dead. So he was busy during those three and a half years. But he was staying out of sight of Ahab during that three and a half years. And finally, at the end of that three and a half years, he went back to Ahab and he said, okay, now it's time for the judgment to end. And I want you to call all of the prophets to Baal to Mount Carmel. And I'm going to Mount Carmel and we're going to have a challenge and we'll see whose God is God. And so they all went, except Jezebel. Obviously she didn't go because there's no mention of her in the story until after she heard And then she went after him to kill him, but she wasn't able to do that either. So there was the challenge. Now, this was the challenge. I'm not going to read it to you, but if you read it in the 17th chapter, this is what he said. He said, I want you, he 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 challenged those prophets. He said, I want you to build your altar to Baal. I want you to kill your sacrifice to Baal. I want you to put the sacrifice on the altar, on the wood. Put the wood on the altar. Put the sacrifice on the altar. But you can't light the fire under your sacrifice, over your sacrifice, around your sacrifice. No fire. No, he says, you have to pray and ask your God to send the fire. And then, it, then after you get through, well, well I'll, do, I'll do it too, and I'll show you how it's done. He didn't actually say that probably, but he had that attitude. And, and so the challenge was, now listen to this carefully. The God who answers by fire, he is God. The fire from heaven, the fire that fell from heaven was the holy, sacred element that separated the one true God from any other false God. Only God, only the fire falling from heaven would prove that God was God. You know, uh, Elijah, when he left the earth, he didn't die, by the way. When he left the earth, if you can read his story, you just keep on reading in Kings and you'll, you'll run into his story. And when he left the earth, he left in a whirlwind and there was a chariot of fire. Fire was always associated, the power of God, the fire of God with this prophet. So, he, so they tried, and I love to read how they tried. They prayed, they shouted, it's just they cut themselves. They did everything they could to get Baal's attention, but you can't get the attention of something that isn't there. And Baal doesn't exist. He's not a god. And, and all the time they were doing all these things, Elijah was taunting them. Maybe your God has gone on a vacation. He even said, maybe he's, the, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> he actually said that. It's in the Bible. That's in the Bible, y'all. <clears throat> Finally, when they had given up, he said, okay. And actually, the scripture says, at the time of the evening sacrifice. Oh, I like that line. There was a morning sacrifice every day in Israel, and there was an evening sacrifice every day in Israel. Not only had Israel gotten away from God, they were no longer doing the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. But it was probably three or four in the afternoon. It was time for the evening sacrifice. And Elijah said, okay, now it's my turn. 
So the Bible says that the first thing he did was repair the altar of God. It had been totally broken down. That tells me they weren't doing any sacrificial offerings. They had torn down the altar. And he used 12 stones to repair it. He used 12 stones to represent the covenant God had with the people. We have a covenant. We have a better covenant than they had. We have a covenant through Jesus Christ. And he wants us to remember the covenant. And so he had 12 stones so they would remember the covenant. And then he did something really strange. He dug a trench around it. He said, okay, dig a trench around the altar. So they've got the altar. Now they've got this trench. They had no idea what was coming next. He got the wood. He put the wood on the altar. He cut up the sacrifice. He put the sacrifice on the altar. And then he said something really strange. He said, now I want you to go get water. He called for four water pots of water. And he said, I want you to pour it on the sacrifice, on the wood. And it ran on down into the trench. He did the four, four big pots. He did it four times or three times. So 12 in all, 12 pots of water. And it ran over. It filled up the trench. There was water everywhere. Now, there's a couple of significant things in this. He was making it as difficult as possible. And secondly, water was a rare commodity. Think about this. There'd been no rain for three and a half years. How much water do you think was hanging around? And he's wanting them to pour it on the sacrifice. But they did it. And then he prayed. Then he prayed, and he prayed that God would forgive them, and that God would lead them back to him, and that God would manifest himself to his people. He prayed, and God answered by fire. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38. And then the fire of God fell. It consumed the burnt sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water in the trench. Wow. Don't you know, wouldn't you have loved to have been standing on that mountain that day and and not have been a prophet of Baal? Because what happened next was not good news for the prophets of Baal. When that happened, the people began to shout, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they killed all the prophets of Baal. They killed them all. Now, let's talk about the fire of God for a minute before we go on. Because I'm about to apply this to us. Say, can you? I can. The Lord never talks to you about something. Never stirs something in your heart unless he wants you personally to be touched by it and changed by it. And I was touched by it. And I was changed by it. And I want you to be touched by the fire of God tonight. I want you to be changed by the fire of God. The the natural fire, the fire that men build rises up. You build a fire, it rises up. God's fire comes down. Always comes down. One is manufactured. It's not supernatural. It's initiated by man. It's human. Humans do it. The other one, fire falling from above, is initiated by God. It's God. It's not man. It's God. One has no supernatural power. You can build a bonfire. It may look good. You can dance around it. You may have have a lot of fun, but there's no supernatural power in it. But when the fire of God falls, when the supernatural fire of God falls, 
It makes the offering acceptable. It makes the offering holy. In this case, God's fire brought repentance. But there's another aspect of this story that you have to consider. Even though the people had repented, there was still no rain. They needed a revival of the rain. They needed the fire and they needed the rain. So what did Elijah do? He went back to prayer. Oh, brother, pray, 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 and then pray some more. Yes, learn to love to pray. And when he saw no sign of the rain, no sign of God reviving the land, he just kept praying and looking and expecting. Remember last time, anybody here the last time I spoke on waiting, in the waiting? Well, he had a little waiting to do, but he just kept praying. He believed the promise. He didn't forget God's promise. He didn't forget who God was. And he certainly didn't forget God's power. He just seen it manifested. And he was believing for rain. And do you think rain came? Oh, yeah. The servant finally came back and said, I see a little cloud. And he jumped up. He didn't wait for it to become a big cloud. He jumped up and he ran to Ahab. He said, you better get a rush on. The rain's coming. And you better hurry to town or you're going to get wet. And it says he outran Ahab's chariot to town. My goodness, supernatural power of God. Now, here's the question. First of all, God's fire brought repentance, and then it brought the restoration of rain or healing. It brought healing to the land. Now, can we see God's fire in the New Testament? Really, I suppose I'm not just talking about fire. I'm talking about altars and sacrifices and fire. So can we see that in the New Testament? Acts 2, beginning with, chapter, with verse 2 to 4, is, a, is where it is. It begins in the New Testament. Now, this is in the upper room. Jesus has returned to heaven. Just before he left, he said, you guys, I want you to go wait in the upper room until you're endued with power from on high. John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me. He's mightier than me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and what, is he, what did he say? Fire. Yeah. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now let's read about it. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Wouldn't that be something if suddenly the, the wind of God blew in this room? And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one set upon each of them. So the fire was above them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus, actually in John 14, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He's gone to heaven. But he said, I'm coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And I have been with you, but I'm going to be in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the fire went inside. You got the fire inside. You have the fire inside. Think about it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have the fire inside. Now, what does the fire inside do? Well, if we kept reading there in the second chapter of Acts, we could see a little bit. Are you staying with me on this? 
you could see a little bit of what the fire inside does. The first evidence of what happens when the fire of God falls inside you. And, and you know, our pastor's been teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. When he comes up on you, he's in you and he wants to cut that fire of God up and fall on you. Oh, wow. Oh, come on, do it right now, Lord. I'm ready. The fire is in us. On the day of Pentecost, people heard them speaking in tongues. They thought they were drunk. And Peter stood up. This is the guy that denied Jesus three times. He stood up and he said, hey, these guys are not drunk like you think. This is the Holy Spirit of God that was promised. It's fallen. It's fallen in this place. And after he got through preaching, 3,000 people were ignited with the power of the Holy Spirit. The fire is contagious. Fire spreads. Have you ever known that? If you drop a match in your trash can, it probably won't stay in your trash can. It'll catch your curtains on fire and your curtains will catch your couch on fire. And before you know it, there'll be a fire so big, it'll destroy your house. Thank God that's not like the fire of God. The fire of God doesn't destroy. The fire of God empowers. When I was thinking about this, and the Lord was talking to me about this, I was, I was actually walking and praying when the Lord said this to me, and I was thinking about this, thinking about the power of God that dwells in every believer, every single one of you. The power of God is in us. And this is what he said to me. How do you think the pandemic started? Well, I thought that was really a strange question to ask me because I didn't really want to talk about the pandemic. I'd like to forget it. But I thought about it. How did the pandemic start? It started with one person. One person in China became infected with this virus. One person. That one person walked in a room with other people. Not knowing he was contagious. Or may have been a she. They didn't know they were contagious. But when they walked out of that room and the other people walked out of that room, some of the people, maybe all of the people, had been touched and infected by that virus. And they took it out. And within a year, a little over a year, our entire world was covered with that vicious virus. Is that true? I didn't make that up, y'all. You could read the papers about it. But did you know what God desires? He wants you to realize you're contagious too. But it's a different kind of contagion. We can be just like Peter. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was contagious. And when he stood and he began to speak and the power of the Holy Spirit began to come out of his mouth and it began to spread through those people, it was, it was like a blessed holy virus that took hold. And they were changed and they were ignited and the power of God revival started. Revival started. Today, God is asking us. God is asking us. He's asking us to do something. That's the first place there in Acts that I want to draw your attention to. Remember, we're talking about altars, sacrifices, and the fire of God. The other verse I want to talk to you about is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is the verse. I pray this every day. But this is how it goes. I don't pray it exactly like this. 
This is what Paul wrote. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So that, that word appeal means I beg you. Strong, strong. I, I, want, I want to get your attention. I want you to understand this. And by the mercies of God, God has been merciful to you. He loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. By the mercies of God, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable spiritual worship. That's the sacrifice he's looking for. If he's looking for a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice, all he's asking of us is to bring our bodies to him, to make ourselves available to him, to worship him, to worship him first thing in the morning, just a little while, spend a little time with him, and to worship him every afternoon to end our day with a little time with him. You know what that will do? It will keep us from being drawn to idols. It'll keep us from placing ourselves in a position that judgment would come. There's a couple of Old Testament scriptures I want to share with you. Um, in Joel 2, there, but there's a... Um, there was another scripture I wanted to share, and I don't have it here. Maybe it'll come to me in a minute. Joel 2, 23 and 25. Let's look at that one. <clears throat> Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. Boy, that's a powerful verse. The crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. What is he saying to us? He wants to send the rain. Remember, fire brings repentance, and then the rain of restoration comes from the Lord. So we've got to ask the Lord to ignite the fire in us, to draw us to a place of repentance so that he can then release revival, the reign of God in our midst. It's the scripture in the Old Testament, and I, and I thought I wrote it in my notes, but I don't see it. Guys, if you find it, well, let me know. But it, it's, about the, it's about the morning and the evening sacrifice. I don't think I wrote it down. But it's, it's, uh, it, this is what it says. I want you to offer a lamb in the morning. And I want you to offer a lamb in the evening. And at the morning and the evening sacrifice, and listen to these words. These are so important. This is where I will talk to you. I will talk to you. You want to hear God's voice? You want, you want God to help you? You want God to direct you? Then make sure there's a morning sacrifice in your life. It's a good time early in the morning to read your 365. It's a good time. If you don't have time to read the whole 365, read, just read one chapter in the morning. And then in the evening, turn off the television. Get quiet before the Lord. And let the evening sacrifice take place. And as you begin to create that habit, I believe the Lord will begin to talk to you. I'm believing we are going to see the fire of God in repentance in our services as we have never seen before. People turning to the Lord. People being born again. People being rescued. People being delivered. And as the Lord moves in the fire of God, I believe the rain of God is beginning to fall. It's beginning to fall in our worship time. And we're going to see the Lord reviving us and filling us and refreshing us 
And I want to leave you with this. Whatever you're going through, wherever you are, build an altar and don't forget those three things. You know, in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Genesis 22, it says that Abraham built an altar and he said, he called it Jehovah Jireh. The, Lord's, well, the Lord looks ahead or the Lord provides. He had said to his son Isaac just a little while before as they were climbing the mountain to make the sacrifice. Isaac said, Dad, I see the wood, but I don't see the lamb. He forgot the lamb. And Abraham said, son, God will provide the lamb. Because God had told him to sacrifice his son. Sometimes becoming a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, is difficult. Thank God he didn't say a dead sacrifice. He says, I want you alive, but I want you on the altar before me. And God provided the ram. That little scripture, some places, some of the scriptures say that Abraham named the altar that Jehovah Jireh, they interpreted the God who looks ahead and makes a provision for you. Oh, God wants us to worship him. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Wait for the rain of God to fall. And while you're waiting, don't forget, God is looking ahead. He's making a provision for you. Whatever you're going through, he's already looked ahead. Don't forget who he is. He's God. Don't forget his promise. Find it and hold on to it. And whatever you do, don't forget his power. He's the fire. He's the fire. He's the fire. He'll ignite you. He'll empower you. He'll make you what you ought to be. Did that bless you? Amen. Somebody may be here tonight that has never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I don't want to close tonight without giving you an opportunity to do that. He's waiting. He's waiting. He loves you. He died for you. And so I'm just going to give you an opportunity now. You don't have to come to the front. All you have to do is lift your hand. We're going to all pray together. But if you want that prayer, or maybe you're away from the Lord. Say, boy, I need to rededicate my life tonight. If that's you, just lift your hand up all over the building. I'm looking to see. It's kind of hard to see in the dark. But just hold your hand up, and we'll pray for you. We're going to all pray together. Maybe maybe you were embarrassed and want to lift your hand and want anybody to see you lift your hand. But you really need to pray this prayer. God hears you. Let's pray it together. Pray with me. Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I cannot save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus because I've said yes to you. Father, I thank you that as we sit before you tonight, that you will ignite anew the fire of God inside us. Oh, Lord, let your holy flame always burn. Teach us how to keep the fire burning inside. And let the water of the word wash us, Lord. Let the water of the word refresh us, Lord. Teach us how to worship you. Teach us how to be a sacrifice. Teach us how to please you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.